Welcome to episode 31, where I catch up with Angie Petty, Canterbury-based Olympic 800-meter runner, coach, wife, and mum. It was really interesting hearing about Angie's running career to date and the transition to motherhood earlier this year and her postpartum return to the sport. I really enjoyed this conversation and I hope you do too. Welcome to the Nourish Your Potential podcast. My name is Kushla Holdaway and I'm a registered and accredited sports dietitian based in beautiful New Zealand. I am so glad you have joined me on this podcast where we will discuss science, sports nutrition, running and physiology alongside interviews with athletes, experts and other health professionals. Whether you're listening to this podcast during your commute, your training session or whilst cooking up a storm in the kitchen, you can be reassured information is discussed in a thought-provoking, evidence-based and easy-to-understand manner so that you have more tools in your nutrition toolbox to be your best self. I am joined by the lovely Angie Petty today. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I've been really looking forward to having some time to talk through your running journey and also the transition of becoming a mum. But firstly, how are you and how's your week been? Yeah, really good. Thank you, Kushla, for having me on here. Um, yeah, no, loving being a mum. It is very busy and, um, you know, it's been quite an adjustment, but overall, um, really enjoying it and yeah, it's been a, another busy week as as it has been over the last six months since becoming a mum, but no, going well, thank you. And being an Olympic athlete, I think most people know you, but can you tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do outside of all your training? Yeah, so I guess I started running from a really young age, um, from around the age of 10. I you know really enjoyed it at school and then joined the club when I was 12. Um, and got a coach when I was 13 and just continued to, you know, um, get into more and more training as I got older. My coach was really good at making sure I didn't do too much when I was too young, but just um, slowly increased over the years and then had some big goals right from, you know, even younger when I was five or six and I did running at school, you know, school races and that. I said I wanted to go to the Olympics one day. So um, I guess just continued to pursue those goals and uh, stepping stone goals along the way of, you know, doing well at Canterbury and then Nationals and then getting to represent New Zealand at my first World Juniors when I was 16 um, and then went on to, yeah, uh, make the semi-final World Juniors at 16 and 18 years old and then made it to the uh, international career as a senior as well um, and, yeah, made the Olympics in 2016 after having been to the Commonwealth Games in 2014 in Glasgow and then again um, in 2018 on the Gold Coast um, and some world champs in between those as well. So, and, and probably one of the, the biggest highlights was winning the World University Games um, in 2015 where I yeah won the, the gold medal in, in um, under two minutes for the 800, which was my first time under the two-minute barrier. So, yeah, I'm really grateful to have had, you know, uh, I guess quite a... a um, international career so far and I would love to get back back there um, and I'm 31 years old now so I think I've still got a bit of time hopefully <laughs> yeah incredible and yeah such a 
long journey so far as well with all the international events and things you've done. With being a younger athlete with huge goals, like you said, you were like six or seven and dreamed of the Olympics. Was there actually a time where you realised, wow, like the, the Olympics is actually a reality for me now? Yeah, I think so. Because as I say, I'd always done quite well in, in school races before I joined the club. Sorry, I think I said 12, but actually joined the club at 10, but got into it more at 12. And um, just right from those early days, you know, at, at first it's kind of quite a distant goal. Like you see these incredible athletes on TV and, um, you know, they're just like superior. Like you can't even really relate. Um, but, you know, once I started to compete, more and more over the years and my time started coming down and I guess even once I got to the Colgate Games at 13, which a lot of uh, young athletes around the country are still competing at, um, to this day they have the Colgate Games between 7 to 14 year olds and um, that's when I managed to win the gold medal in the 400, 800, 1500 as a 13 year old and thought well I guess I'm the top in the country now when I won both South and North Island Colgates. Um, So I was I guess doing pretty well pretty young. and that's when it started to think, okay, well, if I continue this journey, um, yeah, I, I think I had self-belief pretty young, actually, from about 13, um, and then representing New Zealand at 14. And But then, you know, once I actually got to the senior ages and my times were getting really close to qualifying, it became a lot more of a reality. Um, but something I had to believe in the whole way through and had support around me um, who also believed that I could do that, Um and I guess breaking records and things along the way and seeing that I guess some of the records that I broke were from people who then went on to the Olympics as well was quite encouraging and um and just having yeah just having those um times as a, as a sport where you can kind of track yourself and, and see how you're going so mm-hmm. it gave me a lot of um confidence to be able to go a long way but in saying that I also did have disappointment along the way and a lot of difficulties as well and it's also something that um, is different for every person. So I know some athletes that weren't necessarily very fast in their young teens, but then uh, got a lot better in their in their late teens, or even not even until they, they might not even be running until they were eighteen, nineteen, but still make it to the international level. So we're all on different paths as well with that. Mm. Personally, I always really disliked the four hundred and eight hundred meter in athletics. I just found it such a challenging distance to nail, and I almost feel you're either a, a runner of that distance or you're not like I always was 3,000 meters and above was okay (laughs) so what drew you into the uh, specifically 800 but you also mentioned you did 400 and 1500 but did you just have a bit of a natural flair for that distance or do you like that it's just such a tough distance no you're right it's very common that people will say you know what event do you do in in athletics and when you tell them 800 they say why would you choose that event That's the most painful, nasty event, and I think even like you know marathon runners and distance runners, even though not taking away from what they do because what they do is phenomenal, and I could never run a marathon like they do, but um, uh, they still agree that the the amount of pain, even though it's for a short time, it's very intense pain uh, because of the lactic acid that you get in the eight hundred meters. Because obviously it's it's fifty percent anaerobic and fifty percent aerobic, um, which yeah. So I guess to answer your question, I just love that excitement. Um, obviously it was a distance that I naturally was quite good at so I probably fell into it um, from doing quite well at well in a, as a young age um, but yeah if you see if you watch any athletic competitions probably uh, uh, if you watch the post race the athletes finishing off and the amount of athletes that vomit after a four and eight hundred will kind of tell you how painful it can be um, but I just love the excitement I like that the training is, is, is such an um, awesome variety of training from you're doing your long 20k 
slow runs right through to your, you know, your really fast intervals on the track um, and then your hill reps and things in between. And um, so I love the variety of training for it. I love the tactics behind the 800. You know, you start in lanes and then after 100 metres you break lanes and you're all in lane one. Um, you're fighting for position. You know, you might have the odd elbow or <laughs> you obviously try and avoid that. And um, just that it all comes down to who's got the most left in the last 100 metres. Um, it's just such an exciting event. And, yeah, I just I do, I do love it. Um, sometimes I feel like it's a bit of a hate-love relationship, but it is an amazing feeling when you get to that finish line. And then the 400 is really exciting because it's it's just pure speed. It's, you know, um, it's 90% anaerobic. You need a lot of speed and just about to hang on. But, again, you still get very lactic in that last 100 metres. Um, and then 1500 is just a little bit more, a little bit longer. Um I definitely prefer the eight because that third lap on the 1500 is pretty tough. But um, it obviously is an iconic event in New Zealand. We've got a huge history in the 1500 metres um, with Peter Snell and John Walker. Uh, but I'd, I'd like to remind people that we also have had Maurice Chamberlain in the 800 who's won the Olympic bronze medal. Um, and she is just, you know, an absolutely phenomenal legend for New Zealand middle distance running and uh, the only woman who's won an Olympic medal on the track for New Zealand. Um, obviously we've had in the field events but uh, not on the track for females so hopefully we can have someone else again soon <laughs> yeah wow and when you said like 800 meters I mean what's your pb is it a minute 50 yeah one minute 59 oh six yeah. <laughs> so very close to breaking one fifty nine. incredible and like you said there's so much going on in the 800 meters it's quick and it's tactical as well so you know how how do you handle like two minutes worth of just trying to get it all right in time when you might try and break out from the group and make you move? Yeah, I guess it, it comes down to trying different things each race and working on your strengths. Um, for me, I like to go out reasonably hard. I think all the the world records and all the fastest times over 800 are done off a faster first lap. It's just the way the body works. Um when you're using the anaerobic system at that intensity. Um, so even my personal best time, which is still the year 159.06, um, I think I went through in about a 57 and I must have closed up and <laughs> closer to, you know, a minute. So um, did obviously, uh, or even a bit over a minute, sorry, and it, it did tie up a wee bit. But in saying that, I was still, I was in second place or 100 metres to go. So it looked like I had a big finish, but really it's just who, who dies the least in that last 100. Um so, yeah, I think it's it's just, um, uh, yeah, very exciting. You can run it in different ways. You know, some people like going it hard. Others like to, to leave it a bit. And depends on which side of your strength you're coming from. If you're an endurance runner, you probably are going to run it a little bit more evenly than a speed-based runner who will go out hard and just hang on. Um, but either way you do it, you're going to get lactic in the, the last 100 metres and um, you kind of train your body to be able to do that and um, those different tactics. Because um, as a coach as well, we you know, you see athletes that, that thrive off sitting in behind and other athletes that just want to be leading the whole way but it's probably less common to want to lead because you know you're being hunted <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah and to prepare your body for that level of lactic like what key sessions do you do that are like the real suffer fest in the week um yeah I mean I have a few favorite sessions obviously there's a huge variety and as I say you need the long runs and the and the um, track work too but some of my favorite track sessions would be probably uh, one of our key sessions before like Olympics and a lot of those uh, international events would, leading into it would do like the, a 300, 200 session, which is basically uh, three sets. Sometimes we wouldn't even do two sets. We're really sharpening up. 
but um, three sets of 300 metres, 45 second break, 200 metres. So basically a split 500 um, with 10 minutes between sets. So that's quite a big recovery between sets, a lot bigger than I would often have. Um, but it's when you're just wanting that pure, that really, uh, you know, um, you know, anaerobic speed um, where you get really lactic and you have that 45 seconds. So you, you go full out in that 300 and then you're already you know, you're already exhausted and you've got another 200 metres to hang on to. Um, so, yeah, that's probably one of the key ones. Another one would be four 400s of five minutes between each and you're trying to hit 800 metre pace for those. So, therefore, yeah, um, you know, you, you kind of don't feel too bad after one of them because you've only done half the distance of the race. But um, And then you get a five-minute break, which, again, is reasonably big because these ones are when you're sharpening up these kind of sessions and then you're, um, you're going again and again. So, by the especially by the third rep, yeah, you're pretty exhausted. Um, and then you have, we've got a lot of like 1,500 metre base sessions, which helps my, me be able to, you know, hold on for an 800, um, like five, 600s off 600 metre jog recovery and you're trying to hit 1,500 metre pace. Um, yeah, and then anything down to, I quite enjoy like the, the five or six 150 metre reps really fast, flat out off walk-back recovery. So I love the variety, um, but yeah, a few of those ones I mentioned are definitely vomit-inducing reps for me. <laughs> I can imagine, my goodness. And with your longer runs on the week, to add in a bit of endurance, like you said, the 20k, would you go much above that or is that basically the max you'd do? Yeah, and that's that's definitely on the long side as it is. I probably wouldn't get to that very often. Um, that would be in my uh, my base phase. Um, I did find I kind of seem to run best off about 80 kilometres a week in my base um, phase. And when I tried to increase that to around 100k a week, um, a few seasons ago, I actually didn't run so well over 800. It may have helped my long stuff, but, um, you know, you can go too far the other way. Um, and interestingly, um, I found, you know, racing internationally, some of the 800 meter girls that are running around the same kind of time as me over 800 meters uh, would do 30Ks a week and heaps of speed work to get to those kind of times. And there'll be others that do over 100K a week. That's such a variety in, in training to to get to that kind of same level for um, elite women and in turn would be elite men, but you know, maybe slightly uh, more kilometres on average uh, for a man possibly, but um, there would still be a huge range. So, yeah, so for me, I would, I would possibly get up to 20K, as I say, in, in the winter, in the base phase, um, but in the summer, my longest runs would probably only be an hour, um, so maybe 12, 13K, um, and obviously it depends on pace as well. Like I um, I guess I do run some of my runs reasonably quick and then others a bit slower, but like my easy runs might be about five-minute Ks. Um, so it's kind of a lot of factors that come into it. Um, and the, yeah, the 20k runs wouldn't be as often. I think occasionally I've hit the half marathon just to say that I did that, but, um, <laughs> in training. So yeah. Interesting. And would you tend to integrate hills into the long runs or do you mostly, mostly just stick to flat? Um, no, some of my long runs would be hills, but probably not as often. I'm not a big lover of hills. I'm probably, you know, a typical middle distance runner who, likes to run on quite a fast surface and I don't mind a bit of concrete running even though it's probably not the best I wouldn't probably advise my athletes as juniors to do it too much but um, my body's been quite you know resilient thankfully um, and got kind of used to it so I do I don't mind running on the concrete but also like just Bottle Lake Forest and some of the nice places around Christchurch where it's a bit nicer underfoot um, on the flat as well maybe even Hagley Park sometimes but um, I don't mind running from home and going around the, the streets and that as well. Some of the trails out at the groins. Um, but I do love some runs up in the hills. So, And I know the hills are good for me too. But I would probably rather do get my hills in through hill repeats and do best speed on the hills. Um, but some long runs are definitely beneficial because obviously you get that, um, that strength and that variation in heart rate as well with going up and down. <laughs> yeah. 
really interesting hearing what works for different athletes. Yes, that's so different, isn't it? And mm. that's the thing. What works for me is not necessarily going to work for another um, runner, let alone 800-meter runner. So, we, yeah, we're, already, we're seeing that even more so as coaches, what people, you know, thrive off. And some people like more uh, cross-training than others, more mileage than others. Um, uh, and as I say, you know, those girls that are doing only 30K a week, but they can still run under two minutes because they're just doing so much speed. You, you have a lot of the other girls doing, you know, maybe more commonly probably a lot of the girls in Africa and Kenya and things that are doing higher mileage and, and that really works for them too. Mm. Mm. Have you had the same coach throughout your whole running journey? Um, no. So I've um, I had Maria who's been amazing. She was my coach from when I was – starter so when I did start when I um, joined club at 10 and then got more into it around 12 13 she started coaching me um she coached me right through um from then till the Olympics when I was 25 and then I went to an American coach just to have a change of um, environment because I was going to move over there at one stage but we decided not to move in the end so he coached me by long distance um and I just went over for a training stint over there for a few months with the Brooks Beast so he was Denny Mackey um very good um American coach and uh, I really enjoyed having that change as well um, and just training with some other older athletes, same kind of age as me, who are international and um, doing amazing. So that was really inspiring. And then um, came, yeah, back to Sam, started coaching me, my, my husband. Um, so he's been, yeah, been really good as well and obviously knows me, <laughs> you know, better than anyone. Um, and, uh, you know, really, really good. Um, probably just sometimes, we, you know, found you just, you do need that kind of um, – at the track, I'll need to think of him as my coach and at home think of him as my husband and and um, not answer back when I'm at the track. No, not really. But, you know, you kind of do need that um, different, um, I guess, uh, kind of role that you, you see them as um, when, you're, when you're running. And then um, – but more recently, um, I've actually um, – very excited to have Maria back helping me again, um, my childhood coach, as well as Sam working together. So um, I think that's on my comeback since having Azalea – um, it's just been quite recently that um, we decided to work with Maria, which is going to be awesome. And I'm so grateful that she's, you know, having me back and um, helping me on this next stage of my career. Mm. Yeah. So with having Azalea, like talk us through what happened, because for you, I mean, going through your first birth as a mum, I can imagine is so intense, but you had an extra spanner in the works with COVID. So yeah. do you want to talk us through all of that? <laughs> Yeah, so it was a, it was a pretty tough time to be honest. Um, yeah, so first that um, Azalea, you know, came five weeks early. So when my waters broke, I was um, very surprised. I didn't see it coming at all. Um, you know, I do have a, a subset uterus, um, which is like a love sh- love heart shaped uterus. So uh, there was the kind of um, idea that that possibly she could be a little bit early, but it never really became much of a factor. And they didn't they weren't mm-hmm. concerned in the scans. They they couldn't really see. Um, any problem so I thought that no that she wouldn't end up being early as far as we could see at that point anyway but then yeah it got a surprise that when she started to come at 35 weeks um gestation and then yeah had her and then um yeah it was very a painful birth but otherwise it went pretty smoothly um as in I found the contractions very painful I think every woman does but I was still surprised at how painful they actually were and then um had an epidural, uh, had a pretty good birth, and everything was all right. She was just very small. She was just 2.2 kg. Um, so they took her up to, to Niku, and um, we knew that she'd have to be in there. We didn't know how long for, but probably, you know, at least a week or so, we thought, um, just to 
to um, grow a wee bit and to establish breastfeeding because she was so sleepy being so young that she wouldn't wake for all her feed. So she had the tube feed um, going in as well as me, um, you know, starting to do the breastfeeding. Um, but unfortunately, yeah, two days later, I just noticed a bit of a sniff on my nose and thought, oh, no, I mean, I'm feeling quite sick. Um, I'd better do a, a COVID test. I'd better do the right thing. Obviously, all these precious babies in NICU don't want to um, get them sick, any of them, including Azalea. So um, did a test and because my brother had had COVID and we had been a household contact, but we had, had we were t- testing negative right up and, you know, even at the hospital having Azalea, they were testing. Still was negative until, yeah, I started feeling funny two days later and uh, did the test and it was positive. So, yeah, that was really gutting. Obviously, um, it's just kind of at the peak outbreak of COVID in New Zealand um, being in March and, uh, yeah, obviously they had this rule that, you know, you couldn't go in there Um uh, with having COVID, which we could totally understand, but at the same time was really hard. Um, and we thought maybe there was a way around it. Maybe, you know, they can have a room of isolation and have full PPE gear, which we've heard overseas, they do that in some countries and some hospitals, but they didn't think have the space to be able to do that here. So, um, so yeah, it just meant that we couldn't go in. Uh, so, so that size my husband as well. So I, I had it um, two days after she was born and then Sam was positive the, the next day, oh. three days after she was born. Um, so, yeah, it was really horrible. I did really, really struggle through that time. Um, obviously, it's your, your brand new baby and you just want to be with them and, um, you know, you have that bonding going on and um, she was just establishing breastfeeding um, and, you know, she's so vulnerable, just this wee precious baby and, and, and Nico. So it was really, really hard. Um, but we just, that's, we had, there's no way around it. So we just had to stay at home and, and recover. And, um, yeah, I found it really stressful. But we did have support. We had some friends taking in my milk. So I was doing heaps of pumping. And that was the main thing I concentrated on was pumping my milk because <laughs> I thought that's something I can do for her. And um, I was pumping like every every couple of hours, just getting that milk supply up. And my friend would drop it off and to hospital for us. And then I had friends bringing around meals and food and um, prem clothes because we didn't even have prem clothes because we, we only had newborn size. So we had to get that. And um, we knew that she was in safe hands. And the, the nurses were very very good. We were very grateful to them. And they sent us pictures and stuff. And we could see she was doing well. But it was still very hard. Um, but thankfully, I recovered reasonably quickly um, for COVID standards anyway and, and um, started feeling better after a couple of days. So I started testing to make sure, see, as soon as I was negative, I knew I could go in. So, um, and thankfully, after five days, I was negative. So I got to go back into Niku and, and see Precious Azalea and then hold her and, and all that. And it was just so amazing to be back reunited. And then Sam was able to, he was negative a couple of days after that. Oh, gosh. Thank yeah. goodness it wasn't any longer than five days. I bet it felt like forever. Yes, it, it was really hard. It was, yeah, it was a, a, quite an unusual situation as well because I guess normally, you know, you can still spend all your time with them in NICU because it's hard enough having to have them in there and then go home at night, but mm-hmm. not to be able to be in all was, uh, you know, at all for those five days was very hard. But um, but after that, we made up for it and just spent heaps and heaps of time with her. And um, and then finally, after three and a half weeks, she got to come home. So we stay in, stayed in the last few nights um, to establish that feeding through the night as well yeah. as during the day. Um, and uh, and once she was fully off the tube feeding, she, she got to come, come home on Good Friday. So that was a very special Good Friday. Yeah, a good Easter. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, and uh, did Azalia end up catching COVID? Uh, yes, she did, but not not then. So oh. no. So thankfully, she stayed negative right through. Um, so that was very a real blessing because she had obviously been, you know, with us. But um, no, thankfully she didn't, and obviously she didn't have it in Niku to 
to spread it or anything. Um, so uh, it wasn't until a few months later that she caught it and she got it, but we didn't get it this time. So, um, but she was quite sick with it actually, poor wee girl. But no, she recovered. She recovered well. We took her to hospital just to get checked out and that. So um, just had a really high temperature and um, just not feeling good. But she, yeah, she did recover well. So, yeah, so she has had a, a bit of a battle in the, in the first uh, six months of life, but she's a real overcomer and she's a really, real healthy girl overall. Good, yeah, yeah. And through your pregnancy, did you run like up until the day before you gave birth or how far through did you go? Um, yeah, so I, I think my last run, I was on um, Strava and, you know, because I didn't know it was going to be five weeks early, was um, three days before, I think, in the end because I had just had started to slow down. So basically I had eight um, hyperaurus, I can never pronounce it properly, um, through pregnancy. So I was vomiting a lot, a lot of morning sickness. And, yeah, that was really hard. So I couldn't do nearly as much running as I would have liked. Um, initially, I thought, you know, I could just carry on almost normal, just not nearly as intense, but still do reasonable amount of mileage, still do intervals, um, but just ease off a wee bit. And that's the uh, good advice I got given from uh, my sports doctor and, you know, a, a lot of, um, I guess, health professionals around the world, you know, uh, say that and a lot of um, my kind of competitors were able to do that through pregnancy as well. And obviously, you runs on a different duty, so... They took that to what suited them um, and so did I just in how I felt and things as well but um, because of the sickness I couldn't really do nearly as much as I would have liked because I was just vomiting so much um, but thankfully I went on some medication which helped the morning sickness a bit so I could get out running a wee bit but I still end up vomiting usually on my run halfway <laughs> through or something um, but I still felt better to get out once I started feeling to that point um, that I could um, for getting out and getting in the fresh air um and then uh yeah but as I say just that last kind of couple of weeks before um giving birth is I started to find it quite uncomfortable my hips and everything um and my pelvis and just yeah with the weight and everything got a bit uncomfortable so I think my last run literally was uh, probably a bit more walk run I did run most of it but maybe like a 20-30 minute jog a few days before giving birth um and then just keeping fit with um, walking and out and about a bit yeah, I was, I was pleased to be able to keep something going through and then I had six weeks off after giving birth because um, that's what I've been advised by my woman's health physio and um, didn't run, they didn't do any running at all for six weeks um, and uh, that worked quite well because we were in NICU for the first three and a half weeks um, and then I could start going on easy walks and with Azalea in the pram and then um, slowly uh, went from walk, walk runs and then increased after a week of that into actual running and then just every second day and then slowly increase from there. So it's been a nice gradual um, build-up. Did you have any telltale signs that you were going to go into labour early? Like, you know, how your body felt in those last few days? Um, not overall, but one funny funny thing is maybe subconsciously because I did actually just finish, um, like, I, we'd already been getting some things at home ready for, for Azalea and, you know, in terms of buying the pram and all those things we'd done quite early, but... For the final kind of make her bassinet up, make her um, change table up and put all, you know, her clothes into her drawers. Some of those things I kind of tidied up and, you know, actually finished making it up properly. Uh, literally that weekend before she came. So on the Sunday, I think I finished it. And then the Mondays when my water's broken, she's born on the Wednesday. So um, I remember my mum saying that, oh, maybe she's got to come early. Maybe she's got that nesting. I was trying to make everything really, really ready, even though it's still a month to go. Um, but in terms, yeah, I mean, she was mainly on the right side of my um, womb. Like I, I couldn't really even feel it on the left. So we were wondering if, you know, 
in terms of the, the shape of my uterus, maybe she was running out of room a wee bit, but the scans show that she still had space and that she still had fluid around her. Um, so we weren't too concerned, but maybe a little bit of me thought she might come a bit early, but certainly not five weeks early. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, because, you know, you hear of different people, just so many different situations. Some come early. Some, my um, sister-in-law, um, we're five months apart, um, our two we girls, and hers was uh, almost two weeks late. So, you know, you kind of think, oh, maybe I'm going to be late as well. But no, she, she was definitely ready to come. Yeah, goodness. And after, so postpartum recovery, you had six weeks off. Has there been any other periods in your running career where you've had that amount of time off? Uh, well, not uh, there's been a couple. Um, once when I had glandular fever back in 2013, I had a couple months off um, and there was no running like at all for a while, which is, you know, maybe other times with long periods off, it would be at least, you know, the odd jog or um, cross training if I'd been injured. But uh, glandular fever, obviously, I just needed total rest as well. So other than that, um, injury breaks. Thankfully, I've never had a stress injury. I've only had... I've had, you know, lots of other injuries though, um, from hamstring, oh, like, you know, tears or Achilles, three hamstring tears, a calf tear, um, problems with my knee, like when I was playing hockey in high school particularly, um, and then Achilles problems and just like tendonitis and stuff, nothing too serious. So thankfully I've never had like major, major injuries. Um, probably one of my hamstring tears probably the longest off, uh, maybe six weeks or something but um but even then I could start easy jogging you know halfway through that um so yeah so it was probably the one of the longest other things I into fever having six weeks of no running um but then as I said my pregnancy I couldn't really do as much either so it felt like I'd really been off for a long time <laughs> which I think's actually probably done me the world of good um I think because I started competing from such a young age um healthy though like I, I think that was great um I'm really grateful for my um, young years of running and everything um, but maybe I was just starting to get a bit stale in those um, last couple of seasons of competing and uh, whereas through the pregnancy and and then having the, the time off after it's really given me that um, excitement to get back into running and um, you know especially with the coaching as well and seeing how well the teenagers are doing and and giving me that desire to come back and really pa- that passion again to um, see what I can do and um, yeah and, and having Azalea as well being a mum seeing what I can do as a mother you know it's, yeah. it's made it really exciting so I think it's actually really good to have had that break yeah fresh perspective yes totally yeah yeah and are you back to full training now would you say or are you still just building back up um yeah so I would say I'm probably about 80% there um and it was the same as a percentage um so I'm a good chunk of it there but still not quite as much not many as many miles and also not quite as much intensity yet um just because obviously with breastfeeding because I am fully breastfeeding she's just started solids um over the last few weeks but uh obviously your bone density and uh, shooting levels are down so I do need to be careful that I don't go and get an injury like I said about not having stressed ones before but I want to keep that going and, and stay healthy so um yeah so we kind of the load isn't quite as high um and yeah we did build it slowly but now I'm probably I'm sitting around 50 to 60k a week so as I said I got up to 80 in my off seasons when I was running my best to go I did try 100 kg 100 kilometers which didn't work too much for me but um yeah so sitting around at 50 to 60 but maybe not quite as many sessions um and just like you know, not going maybe as, as hard out on sessions, although I'm a bit bad at holding back. So uh, I still probably am pushing quite hard. Um, but I had my first race back um, 
it was an endurance race uh, that at the New Zealand Road Relays a couple of weeks ago at Border Lake Forest, um, and it was an eight-kilometre race, and that was my first kind of um, proper thing back after having Azalea. Uh, so a lot longer than an 800, but it was still it was still good to do and really enjoyed that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm getting there. I'm hoping over the next couple of months I can maybe by the end of the year I'll be almost at full training. Yeah, cool. That's all ama- going well. Yeah, amazing. And it's like, you know, I haven't had kids yet, so I don't know what it's like, but it's always so nice to hear of people like going through pregnancy and coming back and like, you know, getting right back into running and doing really well. Because <laughs> I think yeah. there's always that fear of like, oh, like, will I still be able to run the same or feel as good? And yeah. Yeah. I mean, if anything, I think a lot of women run better. Obviously, everyone's different. But um, a lot of, you know, my competitors and the women that I look up to who have, you know, won Olympic medals and things in the past or even recently, you know, have actually run better after having their children. Um, so, you know, uh, one of them is Svetlana Masakova, who won the 96 Olympics uh, over the 800 and 1500 metres, got the double. That was a year after having a baby. Um, and she broke the mile world record that year too. And goodness knows what else, just ran her absolute like, personal best and everything that following year. Um, and then there's also been quite a few uh, other women as well. Um, even Jess Tengrove recently in the Commonwealth Games from Australia. Um, I think her wee boy is about three or four maybe now. Um, and, yeah, she's only got better since having a baby. But even over the short stuff, it doesn't have to be the, just the long stuff as well. Um, Shillian Fraser-Price, you know, the Jamaican sprinter in the 100 metres, uh, I think her wee boy is three or four, and she's been just won the world champs again this year. So um, it's exciting to know that women's bodies are strong and that we can come back and run really well mm. after having children. Do you think it gives you extra mental strength? Yeah, I think so. I think it's also, um, I mean, physiologically, they say it's beneficial, more red blood cells, more you know, uh, levels, hormone levels that have changed, but also maybe having been through childbirth, mm. it's so blooming hard that you're like, well, <laughs> in a race now like um I mean I obviously always do push in a race but nothing was as hard as those contractions so um so from that but also I think perspective like you you know your baby's the most important thing in the world um so you don't need to get too nervous about a race you just go out and do your best so um and also running for your for your baby and for your family I, sh- I want to show Azalea that you know what you can do as a mother um for her future one day and and just for other all the other girls out there and um, but yeah, I think that mental strength of, um, you know, yeah, uh, you can do anything, you know, and, and, um, might sound cheesy, but I think, you know, that so many women have done it before and, um, just, yeah, just that real shift. Like, hey, even if you do have, you know, like moments, as Ali still waking up quite a few times a night and you might be tired, but you can still go out there and push, you know, you don't stress as much about those little things that maybe you would have done in the past, um, that not everything's perfect, but you can still go out there and run well. Have <laughs> Through your running journey, have you ever struggled with your own relationship with food or exercise? Um, I would say not much. Um, maybe a little bit. When I'm looking back, obviously there's been a lot of great information coming out recently around reds, and um, I think it wasn't nearly as big when I was running at my best, um, certainly as a teenager anyway. And I look back and I remember um, you know, comments around oh, should you be eating that? You shouldn't be eating so much. And some of these were from, you know, um, people in, in positions of power as well. Um, so, you know, some of those comments, I, I look back and I, that could have been quite risky, but thankfully I didn't take it too much to heart. I just loved food. <laughs> um, and, and um, you know, I think maybe as a teenager, maybe I did carry a little bit more weight than 
some athletes might have done. Um, but for me, that kept me healthy, um, you know, and it meant that I was able to come through, I'd rather be carrying a bit more than not enough. And, you know, and, and came through as a senior and, and a say, haven't had any stress injuries. Um, thankfully, I think that's a huge part of it because, um, you know, I think they did stay healthy with that. Anyway, I mean, I still had problems, not perfect, but um, but my my relationship with food's always been quite good. Um, if anything, possibly most you know most enjoy my junk food too much, but we do need treats, and it's good to have that balance, of course. Um, but um, but looking back, maybe a little bit at times, I um, yeah, leading into big events, I was pretty careful with eating. Um, but I think it was a it was just a right kind of relationship. It wasn't too like a I would still have some treats and then, you know, once my big race had been finished, once I finished at the Olympics, finished at World Champs, then I was like, okay, I can have more treats again now or whatever. Um, but I did I did try and get down to quite a light weight for running the 800 metres. Um, and I think there's a fine line where, you know, you could lose too much and it would have been too little and I would have been struggled on that side of things as well. So I would say I think overall it was pretty good and um, thankfully I didn't um, kind of go down the road of, of getting underweight and things because it's just so common and running and I think I saw a lot of women around me and, and um, realised how careful I had to be uh, but in saying that I don't think we had the knowledge then as we do now um, I didn't really train around my cycle I didn't really you know think about my period at all my training which is something I can think about a lot more coming back um, and something that a lot more you know the coaches and things know about now so it's quite exciting for the future yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a really important message to get out there. And as a coach, you and Sam are both coaches and you work with a lot of young, incredible athletes. So how do you ensure that they have a really healthy relationship with food and what sort of key messages do you try and get across? Um, yeah, we, we don't really try and, um, I mean, talk about it too much. Obviously, we'll talk about it if it's needed, but we don't want to make obsess about it. Oh, you should, you know, and tell them, okay, you should be eating this and this and this. Obviously, we suggest things that are, are good to have and make sure you have lots of protein. Uh, make sure, you, you know, you do have a good balance and have those carbs as well and um, proteins, fats and carbs. Uh, good good amount of protein after training. So we tell them all the things you should have, but we don't want to say, and don't have this. Do You know, we try and... Um, you know, that they enjoy, you know, their yummy food and um, we're not going to be like, you know, in our training camps, oh, you shouldn't be having that chocolate because then I think even if you shouldn't be probably having a whole block because it's probably not going to help with your recovery, I'd rather than be having a bit more chocolate than go down the road of, oh, I can't have any of that and then end up with problems of not eating enough. So uh, we just try and keep it pretty relaxed um, and obviously if there's any concerns or things, we will get them to see a nutritionist Um and, uh, and, you know, we might be noticing that they are getting a bit light, you know, weight-wise, then we'll certainly do that as well and, and get them to you know, speak to a nutritionist rather than, I guess, us because we're not qualified in the area, although we've done a little bit through personal training courses, we'd rather them get on to professional and, um, and, and do that. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, it, it's, it's, it is a common problem in running and uh, there may have been some athletes who possibly may have not been eating enough without even realising. I think there's two different um, sides. There's ones that intentionally don't eat enough and there's ones that unintentionally don't eat enough. And I think we've had some that unintentionally haven't been eating enough. So it's something we're actually, even now at the moment, are having some athletes really work on um, because we just know it's so risky and we don't want them going down that road. They need to, especially at any age, but especially as teenagers, need to be eating you know, a really healthy, good amount of food because they're growing so much as well as all the training they're doing. Um, you know, and then there's 
we've had some athletes have low iron so obviously they're not you know they're needing to work on that side of it as well so it's such a huge topic and um you know your, your fuel is your um your food is your fuel and your power and strength and and we just need you know everyone to be aware of it so we are actually having a, a workshop coming up um with uh we're getting in a few health professionals to come in and talk to the kids so i think that will help a lot and to the parents because sometimes it's i think as teenagers it's actually the parents as well that need mm. to be informed mm. education's power isn't it and like you said it's the intentional versus unintentional and often mm. i find that unintentionals you know a relatively simple fix because they just require a little little bit more education some individualized advice and they're you know on their way and doing pretty well but the yeah. intentional is often so much more complex because it's often intertwined with disordered eating and all mm. sorts of other stuff. So it's, yeah, it can be a tricky one. And it is hard because, you know, the reality is if, you know, if somebody is carrying a lot of extra weight, then, of course, losing a little bit could help their running. But then there's obviously you don't want to lose too much, you know, and I think that's the, the danger is that some of the athletes might lose a little bit and run faster. And they're like, oh, well, they lose a little bit more, I'm going to keep running faster. But obviously we know that's not the case. And, you know, even if someone does run a bit better for a wee while, being a little bit less weight, it will usually it will catch up on them. And mm-hmm. as you know, that's that's what we've seen too many times and we just don't want to happen with our athletes So um, and, and with ourselves as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're trying to, yeah, and we're still learning as well. So we're still trying to be as careful as we can with that. It can be such a rabbit hole. And yeah, unfortunately, athletes that go down that route often end up with quite a short running career. That's right. Yeah. And I've, you know, I've run with many, unfortunately, that couldn't continue, sadly, because they just got injury after injury once they, you know, they weren't going through puberty and the puberty was delayed and then um, just ended up with a whole lot of stress fractures. So it's just so sad. And, um, you know, and I think it's great that people are speaking out about it, um, especially like Rosa Flanagan, you know, I trained with her and, and she's been really good at advocating about it and um, sharing her journey, which is so powerful. Yeah, and having people that you can relate to as well that are, you know, similar age and have been through it, yeah, it can be so helpful for other young athletes. Yes, totally, yeah. So, with yeah. Moving forward, so say like, I don't know, not that you can predict the future, but 10, 15, 20 years from now, do you ever think you might dabble in, say, half marathon or ultra distance trails or anything? Oh, goodness. Ultra sounds, <laughs> sounds a bit crazy. But in saying that, I, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, I think I am built for middle distance. Um, you know, I'm, I guess I've got quite a bit of strength and muscle and um, I do love that short stuff. And, um, you know, I don't like to think about retiring <laughs> because I, I do love middle distance. But... Um, I guess there will be a point where maybe I won't enjoy it as much and, and might want to try other things. And, and even if I do always um, still run, you know, obviously it will get slower at some point and, and I can still run in the master's grades. But I would like to try some different things, like you said. And, um, I've you know, I haven't actually officially done – I've run a half marathon on training, but I haven't officially done a half marathon and definitely not a marathon. So I would like to take that off the bucket list and maybe once I start doing that, maybe I want to do more. So um, I'm certainly open to do those kind of things in the future um and maybe you know um sam my husband's a runner as well and we do it all together and um and maybe we could do some of those kind of more adventure type races together and and all that so i would like to in the future um it's just a matter of when and and how with you know having children and having azalea and maybe having having more in the future um but my heart's definitely set on the track still for the next few years at least um ultimately paris but we'll see one step at a time it's a big aim um you know, I have been there, but I know it's a lot of work to get back there. Um, 
and I am getting older, but as I say, I think I've got a bit more time still uh, for the track and then maybe step up and distance a wee bit. But overall, I don't generally enjoy the <laughs> being in pain for, you know, um, even a 10k race sounds like a long time. I love going out on those runs for fun, um, but I really admire the athletes that can, you know, do a half marathon and, and be in, in pain for over an hour. <laughs> in the race. So we'll see over time. I might need a bit more convincing, but otherwise more just for fun and, and maybe, you know, to go and run overseas and explore and, and do those kind of things, some of those fun trails overseas and, and just to um, and to see what they're like and to tick off the list more, yeah. So watch this space. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll see in the future. So, yeah, and, and obviously, um, you know, with our athletes, that we want to keep coaching. Um, so we're going to be probably sitting around the track for a while because we just, we just love it and the athletes are doing so well. And we've got some athletes that are already reaching international level, which is pretty awesome as teenagers. So... We'll definitely be there to support them. Yeah, very exciting. And with your own Olympic journey, now I just can't imagine what it must feel like to be on that start line and it's silent and you're just waiting for that gun to go. Yeah. How, how do you manage your nerves and emotion? And Yeah, it's a lot. Um, I think, yeah, I think it uh, comes down to um, a huge amount of confidence and support and, and just not treating those massive events too massively in your head otherwise it would just be overwhelming you know at the end of the day it's still 800 meters it's still an eight or nine lane track um you're still running in, in your spikes you, you know yeah um big, the big difference is it's the biggest race you've ever trained for <laughs> and you've got millions of people watching on tv and um even lots at the stadium so yeah um i think I, I tried to turn it into excitement um i worked with a sports psychologist john quinn who's really good at helping me um, work on some mental skills that really help me with that. Um, my faith is a big part of it. As a Christian, I'll have like verses that I'll think about before races. Um, helps me, you know, be calm and know that I'm more than just a, a runner. Like, you know, God loves me as I am. So I'm, it's not all just about my result. Um, and then just, you know, uh, family and friends, you know, just, um, you know, before the Olympics, just focusing on, hey, this is so cool to even be here. Um, but at the same time, I didn't want it to be a number of number. I wanted to go and do really well. Unfortunately, in Rio, I did get sick before my race. I had a tummy bag, so I wasn't able to run as well as I think I could have done. Because leading into the Olympics, I was in really good form. And um, I think my PB would have put me, you know, right up there. But, um, yeah, it was one of those things that, yeah. Unfortunately, I got a tummy bag and didn't do quite so well. But um, but competing even at the London Diamond League, that was my first time um, on, in such a massive stadium because it was the year after this 2013 Diamond League, the year after the London Olympics, and they had uh, 60 or 70,000 people in the, in the stadium, um, and it was just so loud. I literally remember thinking my ears actually hurt, like this was almost too loud um, as I was racing around, like, um, and just lining up in the lane there and, and seeing your name go up on the big board and, you know, your heart's beating fast, and you're, but you're so focused. You've done your warm-up. You know, you've peaked for this race. Your, your training's eased off in the week leading into it. Um, you've done the same drill as you would, whether it's nationals, whether it's Kennedy champs or whether it's Olympics. You, your training's all geared for this moment and um, you're ready to go and you're just so excited. And, um, you know, and I thought, you know, all these other athletes lining up next to me, they are nervous as well. We're all in the same boat. Um, I've just got to go out there. And once the gun goes off, everything else goes out the window in terms of nerves and everything. You just, you're just there to run fast and you're so focused on doing well and getting to that finish line as fast as you absolutely can um that it's it all yeah it's it's totally fine once you get going and um your, your body kind of takes over I guess um and you have this kind of weird um tunnel vision of you don't really 
you know, you hear the crowd and it's a massive roar, as I say, it was louder than anything I heard before in, in the first time I competed in, in many races after that. Um, but you're not able to take in things quite as you would when you're not racing, um, uh, especially over that shorter distance. It just Time just feels like it's kind of standing still a wee bit, but at the same time it's going really fast. And, um, yeah, just it's just an amazing feeling um, and it's just something I'm so grateful for to be living my dream. And I think, you know, nerves are a part of it and I have struggled with nerves over the years, um, sometimes to the point where I'd almost feel sick before a race or I'd be thinking, well, I don't even want to be here, which is silly because as soon as the race finishes, I just want to be back there racing again. Um, but I just had to try and replace those thoughts with, with positive thoughts and, um, you know, bring my attention back to myself and to the moment. And um, as I say, I think of those verses. I had lovely music to listen to. You know, sometimes I've been like pumping up kind of music before I race. Um, and uh, you just, you know, just got to enjoy it because it does, you know, there's always another race and, and I look back now and think it does go quickly, you know, and now all I want to do is be out there racing. So, and when you're injured or when you're sick, you, all you want to do is be racing. So I think in those moments, you just got to realise how awesome it is and, and enjoy it. Yeah. Mm, embrace it. So cool. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, not many of us can say we've lined up on the start line for the Olympics. <laughs> uh, I am grateful for that. And I think, yeah, it's something, you know, I, I can, you know, I think, at the time, you're always wanting more. And I was, you know, disappointed. And so while I came forth in my heat and I didn't qualify through uh, to the semi at the Olympics. But uh, looking back, you know, sometimes you, thought, you wish you kind of appreciated it more. Because even when I ran my PB at 159 flat, all I wanted to do was run 158. You know, like you just, so sometimes you just got to enjoy it, and it, it where you are. And that's probably the biggest thing I would tell myself looking back. And then with those disappointing races where I did miss out on the Commonwealth Games final by one spot in 2018, 2014, I made the final and came fifth. But uh, but even then, when I came fifth, I was like, oh, I didn't get a medal, though. I really wanted to get a medal, you know. And, um, and then 2018, I missed by one spot. Um, and, you know, and you're just absolutely devastated. But you, you've got to appreciate what you actually are doing. Because some people would love to even be there. Um, and I know girls that missed out on qualifying for the Olympics by 0.0, you know, fuse of a second, um, 0.01 of a second or whatever. So um, there's always, there's, you know, you can always want more, but you've always got to, try and enjoy and be grateful for what you've got. Um, and even if it's not reaching that goal, because sometimes I have missed out, you know, as I say, um, but just knowing that, okay, I've got to go back to work and work harder um, and be grateful for, for what I have had and even the opportunity to travel the world racing and um, to do what I love day in and day out. But in that moment where you might feel a bit disappointed after a race or not qualifying, it can be all-consuming. Yes, totally. And it can be, and I think that's what you've got to be real with, like let yourself, like, you know, be upset and um, I remember after the Olympics, you know, I was, I was so gutted. I trained my whole life for that and to just, you know, come forth and not even qualify through in 202 when I knew I could run 159 um, in a tactical race and all these people, my family had all come to watch me and all these people watching on TV and you just feel like you let everyone down and let my coach down, let my husband down, let everybody down, even though they're not mean to you, they're not mad at you. Um, but uh, it was really hard. But then um, there's things that actually after that um, particular, after the Olympics, there was a whole lot of children from the favelas that had been given tickets from the New Zealand Olympic Committee um, and they saw New Zealand so uh, on my singlet and they, or on my crop top and they knew that New Zealand was who gave them the tickets, you know, the association and um, they were so excited to see me like, New Zealand, New Zealand, and, you know, yelling out to me and, and um, I was all upset and I was thinking, you know, here I am crying but these kids are just from the favelas that have almost nothing and they're just so happy and it put things in perspective. Mm. 
um, and made me just really appreciate even just being there and actually kept in touch with a couple of those kids. They followed me on Instagram and, you know, some of the teen, older teenagers uh, messaged me a bit of advice about running and things, and that was so special. And I think New Zealand Committee also gave them bikes and a whole lot of things. So, um, yeah, there's special moments like that. And, um, you know, and, and it's, I think every athlete goes through disappointments. You know, I don't know any athlete that hasn't been um, and then following disappointment often comes, you know, a really successful, um, special moment as well. So, um, yeah, and, and even if you don't necessarily get the results, it's, it's about the journey eh? and just enjoying that as well. And, and through running, I've met so many amazing people and I met my husband. So <laughs> that's the best thing. <laughs> yeah, I didn't realise that about the um, Olympics. That's so lovely of them. Um, was there anything else that was quite um unique or that you weren't expecting about the whole olympic experience and being in the village and things that sort of took you by uh, surprise yeah i would say rio particularly um and it's actually a bit of a sad way that is a very poor you know city well it's very huge difference between rich and poor and um i think i found it quite hard that you know they spent so much money on having the olympics and you know um in rio and maybe they should have chosen it somewhere where else because the you know, there's a lot of poverty and, and you know, they kind of need to spend more money on their own people. Um, so that was, yeah, quite hard. But in saying that, I think the, the, the Olympics did bring a bit of money, a bit of tourism to the city. Um, but I just know with some house relocation and things that they cleared people's um, favelas and things to, to build things, which is not nice. But um, but then I do hear some good things, like they brought a new water, water sanitation and things to the city as well. Uh, so there's that side of things. Um, and then, you know, driving through, um, they had like the bus, um, the Olympic buses that were only, you know, all the um, roads were closed except for the sort of the athletes on those buses. And um, you drive through, and you'll be like these really poor favelas, and then suddenly you'll be in this massive, expensive sp- stadium. So that was quite hard. But um, but then in saying that, a lot of the locals loved having it there. Um, really amazing, vibrant people. Love the uh, Brazilian people and. Um, and even though not many of them spoke much English, so that was quite fun. But um, <laughs> with their Portuguese and my very limited Portuguese. Uh, but, yeah, just being in that village. And um, there's actually um, amazing security because, I guess, it is, there's some areas that are a bit, um, you know, higher crime rates and things there as well. So they had, like, um, you know, machine gun like, guards with machine guns all around the village and big army tanks and um, this kind of thing. And so rather than going out for your run around the town, you just had to go round and round the village for your training runs leading into the, mm-hmm. um, into your race. But that was for the easy runs. And then now that's for the track sessions, we drove to a special guarded area for the track as well. Um, and then, yeah, the food village is always amazing. That was um, absolutely massive. And you could, you know, you'd go in there any time of day or night, 24-7 are open and, um there's different there's different sections from your European food to your American food to your halal there's a halal section uh to you know all the desserts you could want um McDonald's even 24 <laughs> 7 um so the kids always like that one but you know you obviously wait until you finish racing <laughs> so that was the line would slowly get longer and longer over the, as all the athletes started finishing competing um so it was pretty surreal being there and just walking around and seeing all these incredible athletes that you know you look up to but at the same time I had to you know I deserve to be here too like rather than being too overwhelmed and excited by seeing everyone um and then yeah in, in the Commonwealth Games and um the Gold Coast is like swimming pools and stuff you go and lie by the pool and you know you get your parade out it's just parade machines everywhere and you know, all that kind of thing so it's um it was pretty yeah and smoothie bars and um yeah it was pretty amazing you got looked after really well 
Um, but obviously you were there to race. So that was always the main thing I was thinking about. Um, and you had all the um, New Zealand team, they're looking after you really well with, with sports massage and, and physio and, and everything as well. Even the um, sports psychologists and that, um, those teams were there too. So, yeah, just really well supported um, and just really nice to be in there with all the other athletes who were in the same boat, you know, um, at their big event too, you know, competing for New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Are there any athletes through that experience that you became really close with and still keep in touch? Um, yeah, so, yeah, no, there's quite a few over the years, so definitely within the athletics team. I think sometimes it's hard to probably get to know heaps of and heaps of other sports because you know you, you do intermingle quite a lot but at the same time you have quite different schedules or you know what the um netball girls or the rowing girls or obviously commas is netball but um all the different you know sports we're doing um so particularly the athletics team we're very close but insane that we still did get to interact with the other sports as well and all get to hang out in the, in the um, athlete lounges and things too so um but yeah some of the um, athletics teams are definitely um, particularly got some really good friends, um, you know, uh, through there and from other countries as well. Um, some of my, you know, great friends overseas are obviously who are known through running and get, getting to, you know, go through the ups and downs of the sport together over the years. And um, and I've based with a lot of them overseas as well when I've been competing. Uh, but certainly in New Zealand, it's awesome to to be, you know, sharing the sport with, you know, people like Camille Buscombe, who's also just become a mother yes. um, and who went to the last Olympics uh and uh, getting to see her absolutely smash, smash it on the track in the longer distances. Um, and then, yeah, all the other athletes as well. Um, Brad Mathers is, you know, a good friend. And um, and now there's a lot of these young ones coming up as well who, who are just amazing. So it's really inspiring and, and awesome to be, you know, able to, to get to know those people and, um, yeah, and support one another. Well, um, it's almost <laughs> – the time's gone very quickly <laughs> – um, and I just, I don't want to hold you up because I know you're busy as well being a mum. Um, but I've really appreciated all your insights today. It's, yeah, really nice to catch up. Um, yeah. I do have a fast five to finish. Yeah, um, no worries. So, so I rid of a surprise for you. <laughs> um, yeah. In Christchurch, what's your favourite eatery? Oh, um... Oh, gosh. Uh, that is a hard one. I've got to be fast, though. Um, <laughs> first thing that comes to mind. <laughs> the first thing that comes to mind, um, oh, maybe um, the Vietnamese on Rickon Road. Um, <laughs> Hello, Vietnam. <laughs> yeah. Top tip for first-time mums returning to exercise? Um, wait until you've seen a woman's health physio until you get the old clearance uh, to run again just to make sure everything's internally healed <laughs> before you start running yeah favorite running shoes um i'm happy bias and still say adidas um but i'm wanting to try more of the new um carbon fiber shoes but at the moment probably um or oh, any of the adidas ones maybe the ultra boost um even though not, don't necessarily like them i love them <laughs> yeah I was going to ask about your favourite running workout, but you've kind of covered that in the podcast. So I'm going to ask, what is your favourite strength move? Uh, strength, probably, yeah, probably a good old squat. squat. I love heavy squat in the gyms, yeah. Yeah, good yeah. all-rounder. Yeah. <laughs> and lastly, one piece of advice you would give your 10-year-old self. Oh, um, enjoy the journey and the moment don't always have to stress about the next thing um yeah just i want to say tone and make sure you have a good support team (laughs) around you yeah Yeah. and people that believe in you yeah cool
Cool. Well, thank you so much, Andy. It's been a real pleasure to have you on. And I'm sure a lot of your young athletes will love uh, listening to this as well. Yeah, no, thank you so much, Kushla. And um, yeah, we'll have to um, yeah get in touch and maybe get some of the athletes coming to see you. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. As well. So yeah, thank you very much.